You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I'm Dr. Bruce Bloom. Join me and my guest, Dr. John Simkovich, Director of Public Health for One Region in South Carolina, as we discuss a coordinated medical response to large-scale emergencies. This is Dr. Leslie Lunt. Join me this week on our special segment on psychiatry, where my guest will be Dr. Margaret Werenberg. We will be discussing her latest book, The Anxious Brain, The Neurobiological Basis of Anxiety Disorders and How to Treat Them. And I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. Join me this week, and I will be speaking with Dr. Gus Bardi. We will be discussing the use of home automated external defibrillators, and we will try to decide, does this reduce the risk of sudden cardiac death? Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157, where we change topics every 15 minutes. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, visit us at ReachMD.com. Don't you think for what they charge to be in a hospital these days, you ought to be treated as if you were in a five-star hotel? Join me, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and my guest, Dr. Brian Berman, at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Dr. Berman is a professor of family medicine and director of the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Currently, he is the principal investigator of two NIH-designated centers for the study of traditional Chinese medicine. He was the first chair of the Consortium of Academic Health Centers for Integrative Medicine and served on the Institute of Medicine panel on complementary medicine. Dr. Berman co-founded and coordinates the complementary medicine field within the Cochrane Collaboration. Today we are discussing complementary alternative medicine in the intensive care unit. Hi, Dr. Berman. I appreciate you taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. The R. Adams Cowley Shock Trauma Center at the University of Maryland is an extremely busy trauma hospital and has begun a program integrating CAM treatments in the ICU. How did this get started and what are you looking at? It's an interesting collaboration that started a couple of years ago when some of the people from the Shock Trauma Center at Maryland came to us and said, you know, we get a lot of people into our trauma center who are in a hyper-inflammatory state from the trauma, and we do different things to bring that state down, but if it doesn't work, there's a subgroup that it doesn't work for, and those are usually the ones who don't do well and often go into septic shock and die, and what do we have to offer in our sort of bag of tools? For those of you who don't know who they are, you know, the Shock Trauma Center at Maryland is one of the largest trauma centers in the country. It's named after Adam Cowley, you know, Baltimore physician who was considered the father of trauma care. And he really is the one who gave the world the concept of the golden hour, that the critical first hour following trauma is when the treatment is essential to improve survival by up to 70%. So they're a large group, and they said, look, we've got this problem. We see a lot of patients with this. And, you know, I said, well, we don't really know. We normally think about different complementary alternative therapies, integrative medicine for either prevention or for chronic disease. It hasn't been used that much in acute trauma setting. And we said, let's go and see what we can do. And so we started to have our acupuncturists go there. They started to see some results from patients for you know, getting relief of pain after treatments with no side effects. They started to see more relaxation. We started to bring in some relaxation therapies. We started to train the nurses there in some of these therapies, including sound healing and Reiki healing. 
this is in a trauma center. So Yeah, now, <laughs> I was just going to say, here you are with all this high-tech equipment going around and the acupuncturist or the massage therapist comes in? High-tech, high-touch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> and you know what? The surgeons down there and certainly the nurses, once they saw that it was really benefiting their patients, that's what they wanted to know about. You know, and they really have started to embrace this, and it's led to, I think we've, we've treated over 300 patients in the trauma center now. So you were approached by the intensivists, basically. That's right. And what were their markers? Because I assume that at this point you're probably planning a, an organized study rather than just, you know, hit or miss with the patients. But you had to pick out a group that had the inflammatory state. What sort of markers did they say, okay, these are the people we're going to look at? So how did you know who to go in to see? What we did, we said, let's take a look. Yeah, we had to go past just the anecdotal study. So let's do, you know, set up a pilot clinical trial. And we were looking at, you know, can we reduce the pain medication intake over the first three days following trauma surgery? You know, we know all the pain medications have got, you know, some serious side effects and some of them can be addictive. And so what could we do here? So we were looking at that as one of the markers in this clinical trial of 60 patients. We're also looking at some of the pro-inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines, so things like IL-10, IL-4, tumor necrosis factor, IL-8, IL-6, you know, a whole host of, of ones, and as well as beta endorphins are, are the different markers that we're looking at. But basically, they're getting, you know, a randomized trial, 60 patients, getting acupuncture once a day for three days, and we're looking at these blood tests as well as pain medication. Do you have a and I guess in an ICU, this may not be ethical, but do you have a placebo control group or is it just treatment or no treatment? Treatment or no treatment. It's add-on or not, basically. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Brian Berman, Director of the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Maryland. We're discussing CAM therapies in the intensive care unit. I just saw recently a published report of a study where they used acupuncture in an ICU setting for pain, and they were treating the people 20 minutes every hour for 12 hours and did report that there was less propofol used. That's a lot of acupuncture in a busy ICU. What's your protocol? Our protocol is acupuncture once a day for three days. <laughs> I mean, you know, part of it is you have to make it where it's, is this going to be translatable into clinical practice? Well, that's why I thought this was a huge amount of acupuncture. Yeah, no, no. I think at this stage, you know, we're really more exploring. We want to really see, you know, is there a decrease in morphine or other, you know, narcotic consumption? What's happening with the pro and anti-inflammatory cytokines? And, and stress hormones is the other one that we're measuring, you know, by day five of the person's stay. And how many points are you using for the acupuncture study? What we're doing is we're allowing the acupuncturist to select from 18 different points. And basically, it'll typically be six acupuncture points that they'll be using. And they're putting the needles in without any stimulation? Or are they connecting them to an electrical stimulator? Do you know? They are going to first get, you know, the dead chi sensation. Yes. They'll put the needles in. They'll twist the needles around so they get that, you know, sort of bite sensation. And then they will put two pairs of electrodes for electrical stimulation as well and using a low frequency for 20 minutes. And you said in addition to acupuncture, you're also using Reiki? Reiki is not part of the study. It's not. But just generally, when we're treating people in the trauma center, we're using, you know, some sound therapy. We're using certainly some of the relaxation techniques and also Reiki healing. 
I have a medical acupuncture practice north of Chicago, and I have the feeling if I went into the intensive care unit and talked to the chief and said I'd like to bring acupuncture into the ICU, that they would probably smirk and raise their eyes up to the sky and kind of roll them around in their head. How would you recommend that I would go in to approach them? And is there anything I could bring to them? You're on the Cochrane Collaboration Database Committee. Is there things that I could come to them about acupuncture and say, you know, there is some scientific basis here that I think would lead to some benefits in the ICU? There certainly is, you know, some data that you can show them and some meta-analysis and systematic reviews that are listed in the Cochrane Collaboration. So people can go to our website or they can go to Cochrane and they can get access to that. And there's, you know, a whole host of different reviews, not so much, you know, related to acute trauma. And a lot of this really comes down to relationships. When you're really trying to build bridges and, and even change culture, what we found is, what, you know, for one, we've been here for 17 years. They do know us. We've worked together and seen, you know, occasional patients there. We've, you know, maybe worked together with some of the people on some studies. And then they came, you know, from all that and said to us. So it's a mm-hmm. lot easier if they're saying we yeah. have a problem that we, you know, need some help with. And then we didn't come in saying, well, we've got all the answers. We basically said, we don't know. Let's see if we can benefit the patients with this. And I think taking that kind of approach, you know, resonates with people. And, and then you kind of take it from there. And you're willing to sort of say, if it's not working, this isn't working. But I, I just found the trauma surgeons to be incredibly open. You know, they're really there, whatever's going to help their patients. That's a great attitude. Give me the mechanism later. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's what you're trying to provide. So that's wonderful. Absolutely. One claim made for CAM therapies is the ability to promote healing. Do you plan or anticipate any studies to look at things perhaps like length of stay or other markers for recovery rates, return to work, anything where you could, you know, throw another dimension onto this? For this group in the trauma center? Yes. Well, we'll see what the results are first, you know, with this one to see if we are making a difference or not. But that certainly, you know, we're looking at things like quality of life, you know, as part of this to see you know, if if it has any self-report of changing that as well as the biomarkers. And then, you know, I think that there could be some follow-on studies looking at length of stay, you know, if, we, if we're making a difference as well. You know, certainly decrease in medication use. You know, there's a lot of things that could be done, but I think we'll take it one step at a time in what we're doing with this. To be honest, when we say that it, you know, it promotes healing, I'm not even sure if I know what healing is. You know, we, <laughs> okay. we talk about health and healing, you know, which is something that we're talking about a lot in our group these days because, you know, as doctors, we're very much focused on helping people get better and on medicine. Health and healing is sometimes, you know, kind of an elusive thing. We certainly really need to look at that. We need to actually pay a lot of attention to that, you know, but we're just in there with everybody else trying to figure out what that is. (laughs) Well, if we have small goals and, as they say, one step at a time. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Dr. Brian Berman, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing integrating CAM into the ICU setting. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.
The American Medical Student Association was founded in 1950 and remains the United States' oldest and largest independent association of physicians in training. AMSA's priorities include ensuring quality, affordable health care for all, advancing global health equity, enriching medicine through diversity, and protecting professional integrity, development, and student well-being. AMSA members are medical students, pre-medical students, residents, and practicing physicians who are committed to improving health care and health care delivery to all people and dedicated to the active improvement of the profession of medicine. AMSA members are advocates of health care reform passionate global health champions, watchdogs working to restore integrity to the profession of medicine, peer educators who each year deliver hundreds of hours of education to students, and public health advocates who donate over a million hours of community service annually. Discover what AMSA can do in partnership with you, your practice, and your community at www.amsa.org. And be sure to listen each week for the American Medical Student Association's Reaching and Teaching Beyond the Wards, a series addressing topics of medicine that go beyond the clinic, exclusively on ReachMD XM157. Hello, this is Dr. Suzanne Clough from WellDoc Communications of Baltimore, Maryland. You are listening to the first national radio channel created specifically for medical professionals, ReachMD XM 157.